Shalom and welcome to Heretics Standing at Sinai, a podcast for those in or adjacent to the Jewish community who are searching for this place to deepen their spirituality without sacrificing their rationality. My name is Rabbi Jay Telrav, and I'm really glad that you're joining us for this fourth and final uh, mini session in a series of episodes that we've used uh, during the month of Elul to explore the liturgy of the upcoming High Holidays. Whether you've been exploring Jewish spirituality for years or this is your very first time considering it, I'm glad you're here, and I hope you'll want to come back and see what happens next week. These last several weeks, we've taken a look at some of the most iconic liturgy of the holiday, but I don't know that there's any out there that people would consider to be more central to their uh, Yom Kippur experience, at least, than the sounds and words of Kol Nidre. And so for that reason, I have saved it for last, though I would not necessarily say best for last. My reason for doing this mini-series at this time of year is because so many of us will re- return to the synagogue on these days, and when we arrive, we'll find there the prayers that have been a part of our journey and that most of us have long since filed away as understood. Either we love what they say and we look forward to them, or we decided some time back that they didn't speak to us and we just enjoy the experience for other reasons. But this non-dual journey is an effort to try to capture the synthesis between what we believe out there in the world, the spirituality that we've developed for ourselves, and a consistency once we enter the sanctuary and we utilize Jewish tradition. In that way, we might be able to bring the best of ourselves into this space, which is so rich with tradition and nostalgia and potential meaning. And so for that reason, with all the uh, practice we've had the last several weeks, and for those of you who've been with me all along for the past many months, this week I'm going to be the most bold in my interpretation of this prayer, Kol Nidre, since you've had that practice, and uh, perhaps you'll be able to reframe the prayers along with me. So I'm going to begin with a translation, and I have to remind you that all translations are, to some degree, a commentary. There are so many different words we could choose in English to mean each one of the Hebrew words, and so you can absolutely take issue with how this is translated. I'm simply using a traditional version. So the words of Kol Nidre in English mean something like this. All vows we are likely to make. All oaths and pledges we are likely to take between this Yom Kippur and next Yom Kippur, we publicly renounce. Let them all be relinquished and abandoned, null and void, neither firm nor established. Let our vows, pledges, and oaths be considered neither vows nor pledges nor oaths. Well, now that you've heard that, I'll invite you to just stop and say, is that what you thought Kol Nidre was saying? What does the first reading of that translation suggest to you? Without context, I might think that it sounds as if we're saying, God, I know that this coming year I might fail to uphold my promises. Should that prove to be the case, God, I'm going to ask you now, preemptively, not to hold me accountable. It sort of makes me think of the trick that we used to use as children when we'd make a promise that we worried about. 
we would cross our fingers behind our backs to protect us from, I suppose, the spiritual consequences of lying. But worse still than the surface meaning, I've wondered for many years how it is that we've kept this prayer in our liturgy through the centuries with anti-Semitic tropes claiming that the Jews were shifty and couldn't be trusted? Was this not an example right there in the language of our holiest day, the Sabbath of all Sabbaths, Yom Kippur, telling God, we need you to know right now that we might not fulfill our commitments. There really is no similar acknowledgement made to the mortals to whom we might also be making these vows. The prayer Kol Nidre has an uncertain history. It seems to show up first in a reference in the 8th century from the rabbinic authorities of the city known as Pumbedita. It was one of the great centers of Jewish life and learning for many centuries. Now, they don't know for sure, but they, uh, scholars propose that it was probably a response to the Karaite practices or other pagan efforts that were around and used to try to infiltrate the Jewish community. Their practice of making magic vows could have led to the creation of this legal annulment. There is a prohibition in these texts against its use, probably due to the fear of making vows in the first place. The rabbis wanted Jews to stay as far away from the practice of saying, I swear to God, as it was possible. There are also others who think that this prayer might first have been written and come to light during the times of the Inquisition, when Jews were often made to choose between conversion to Catholicism or death. Those who knew that in the coming year, might see themselves having to make this choice, could here preemptively acknowledge that their vow of allegiance to Catholic doctrine should not be seen as authentic. In other words, God should not question their loyalty just because they were choosing life. In fact, recognizing the complexity and the danger of such a prayer, the earliest Reformed Jewish leaders chose to remove the prayer altogether from the Machzor, the High Holiday Prayer Book, way back in 1844. It restored the prayer in stages over the next 100 years back to the prayer book. And since 1966, it has appeared in all the prayer books from the Reform Movement in its full Aramaic form. I think it's important for us to ask ourselves what it is about this piece of material that has become so meaningful to worshipers. So strong, in fact, that the reform movement said, give it back to us. Clearly, there's a strong nostalgia. Many of you can probably picture your cantor, uh, and you can hear the notes as they're sung back on a powerful scene. It also was the uh, culmination in the movie The Jazz Singer, chosen obviously for its power. There are also many having no idea what's being said in the translation of the Aramaic, who still feel that it's unassailable. <laughs> As a leader of this community, I know better than to think about removing it. So instead, as a non-dualist, I'm left to reframe the words and the meaning into something honest and meaningful for me. So, 
that's what we're about to do. To begin with, I'd like to give a very quick summary of the work of Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote, among many other titles, Sapiens. As a historian, he makes a compelling case for why Homo sapiens pulled ahead of all other species to become the apex of evolution thus far. His proposal is that humans are the first and only animal to be able to create and share myths with each other. Nearly every structure in society is a fabrication that we have agreed collectively to recognize. Our names, they're just made-up sounds, but you and I agree that I will respond to the sounds that make up the word J. How about money? We all know that it's nothing more than pieces of paper or flat disks of otherwise unremarkable metals. Or, increasingly, with the introduction of cryptocurrency, a long string of ones and zeros that nobody really understands, but we agree to honor all of this as currency. And with these agreed-upon myths, we are able to create an economy. While there are other species that certainly utilize unspoken rules for their social order, humans have taken it to an unprecedented level. What else is really just a figment of our creativity? In many ways, everything is. By virtue of the fact that our view of the universe is so completely limited, what would everything look like if we could see the full spectrum of light? What if we could see the presence of dark matter? What if our brains could understand the true scale of this universe? Instead, we're limited to creating a functional model of reality. But non-dualists maintain the obvious limits of such an approach. We know that we have to live in that world with all the other dual natures. We have to go to work. We have to eat to survive and to reproduce and thrive. But then, in our quieter, more contemplative moments we remember that there is a bigger, all-encompassing truth of which we are a part, a oneness that is beneath it all. And so, we go through the motions all through life. We assign meaning to finances. We assign importance to health. We label things as good and bad. And we strive to increase the former and to avoid the latter all the while knowing that the universe has no interest in these sorts of small truths. So one way to engage with Colney Dre is to insist that we know there is something that remains true underneath all these realities. As I mentioned before, if a Jew is concerned that she may have to make a commitment to Catholicism, we would understand her wish that God should see it as an illusion. My suggestion to all of you heretical non-dualists out there is to approach Kol Nidre similarly, but from a much bigger point of view. Step way back for a moment and just imagine a view of the entire universe, which includes us and the lives that we've created here on Earth. 
If the universe could reflect on our tiny little existence, it would probably chuckle at how important we think we are. Just as we might smile knowingly at a child who thinks they can dig a hole on the beach and get all the way to the other side of the earth, the universe would smile lovingly at us as we maintain some pretty limited myths, just like Harari described. But then on Colney Dre, we might step back in a deeply reflective moment and say to ourselves, all vows that we're likely to make, all the oaths and pledges that we're likely to take between this Yom Kippur and the next Yom Kippur, we publicly renounce. Let them all be relinquished and abandoned, null and void, neither firm nor established. Let our vows, pledges, and oaths be considered neither vows, pledges, nor oaths. In that translation, using a non-dual reinterpretation, we might be thinking all the limitations that we impose on our interaction with the universe over the course of this next year, we recognize that they are illusions. What we've described as other is not other. What we have made a priority is not a priority. Neither are they firm nor established. Let us remember at this moment of pause on Yom Kippur evening that we create and are a part of the creation that we know to be God. And let us struggle to return to the place of proper perspective as much of the time as necessary. And then when we find ourselves squarely planted in the world of duality, allow us to maintain the proper attitude about how much emotion is right to invest in our lives. Colney Dre, it seems to me, allows us to enter into this new year without needing to be afraid if we should find ourselves in a situation that is beyond our control. The non-dualist knows that everything is beyond our control. And this reframing of the Kol Nidre statement may inspire us to return to the non-dual truths that we've come to understand. Kol Nidre, then, becomes a clear acknowledgement that we know what is true and what is not true. Sometimes we have to live in and we even create a reality that we know not to be true. And we wish it could be otherwise. If you are a non-dualist, you know how this feels. To live in a dualistic world that often pulls you into spots you wish you could avoid, often pulls you into emotions that you know do not serve you, a world that often assails your sense of right and wrong when you know that you have no claim upon the universe for such a thing. And yet, as humans, we fall into these spaces over and over again, and this year, you might try using Kol Nidre as a way of forgiving yourself ahead of time for whatever accountability you'll probably heap on your own shoulders when there really is nothing to feel badly about in the first place. I'm really glad you're listening to Heretics Standing at Sinai, and I look forward to where we're headed next. While I have some thoughts, I can't yet share them with you because I'm, frankly, not entirely certain. I do plan to be taking a short break from here on as we get through the holidays, so I'll look forward to returning with a new episode again during or after the festival of Sukkot. I hope you've found something valuable in the time that you've spent listening 
And I'm so grateful to those of you who have taken a moment and shared with me what it has made you think about. If you haven't yet, please do take a moment and let me know. If you're planning to participate in the upcoming holidays, I'd like to wish you a few blessings. First, may the time that you devote to the observance be found to be well spent. May you awaken to new ideas or opportunities that you simply haven't seen yet. And may you find the ability to enter into the new year, 5,784, with a sense of purpose. And may this coming year be the best one that you've lived yet. As with previous weeks, I will send you away today with a recording of Cantor Micah singing Kol Nidre for us, and uh, we'll look forward to being together soon. To all you heretics out there, stand proud. Sherry.